Every time I say that, there's always one wise guy who keeps doing his pages back and forth. He's usually in the front row. He looks like me. Because that's what I would do. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father... This episode in the lives of these simple fishermen, so life-changing for them, we want it to be life-changing for us as you draw from it those timeless principles, Lord, that can move into our hearts and cause us to draw closer to you, and in a very real sense, Lord, to leave everything to follow you, whether literally or spiritually, Lord, to just set our hearts and our affections on things above where Jesus dwells, and then to know you're walking with us each day. Lord, do these things and more, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Simon and other experienced career fishermen had been out all night on their boats using a type of net called a drag net. This net was about 300 feet long and 8 feet wide. One side had corks to keep it afloat, The other side had lead sinkers. Sometimes the net would be stretched between two boats, and then the fishermen would row in a circle to bring the ends of the net together. Other fishermen on the boat would work at drawing in the cord at the bottom and the top of the net in order to trap the fish inside. They had caught nothing. I'm guessing this would be extremely rare for career commercial fishermen almost unheard of. It wasn't like today when you could go out on these fishing expeditions and you're not really guaranteed anything because the waters have all been fished out or, you know, the fisher have signs on them that says, take me, I have mercury or anything like that. You know, this was was a regular fishing business, the lake filled with fish. And so I'm going to guess that this maybe never happened before, that there was a catch with no fish whatsoever. Then at the request of Jesus, they set out again and caught the greatest haul of fish in their careers. Their failure and then their success had nothing to do with their equipment or their experience. It was obvious that God had prevented and then provided the fish. It put their careers into a whole new perspective. God went fishing with them. 
Their life's work was something of great interest to God, something he was intimately involved with. God wasn't just for the synagogue or Sabbath school or for the more spiritual parts of life. He was with you as you went about your daily business, preventing or providing as he saw fit. Simon's career became a calling. He would no longer fish for fish, but for men. You have a career. Whatever your business is, whatever you're busy doing as your life's work, right now that's your career. You may want to leave it behind and serve God in a more traditional full-time ministry. That can certainly happen. But most often, God wants you to see your career as your calling. You'll begin to see your career as your calling when you understand that God is interested in you and intimately involved with you on a daily basis. God goes to work with you, or if your career is that of a homemaker or a student, then God stays home with you or He goes to school with you. You get the idea. We want to take a look at career and calling in our text. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, give control of your career to Jesus. And number two, get confirmation of your calling from Jesus. First of all, in verses 1 through 7, give control of your career to Jesus. As I mentioned, Simon and these others were commercial fishermen. Jesus caught them and called them. Then he used their career as a metaphor, telling them they would be fishers of men. Jesus wasn't specifically looking for fishermen in order to have a great illustration for the Bible. He caught and called others from different walks of life as well, like Matthew the tax collector. Whatever their career and whatever your career, Jesus catches and then calls you to serve Him, and oftentimes within that same sphere. Every believer should understand that he or she is involved in full-time Christian service right where they are. Think of your career, whatever it is you're doing right now, and then give control of it to Jesus. Now, this may seem like a a common thought, uh, but oftentimes we need this reminder. Sometimes we think we've chosen our career, or sometimes our career is going through a change, or there's many different things. And, and we do have a tendency to, to make a break between our religious life or our spiritual life or our church life and our regular life. With some people, the break is greater than with others, but all of us need the reminder that as far as Jesus is concerned, there's no break whatsoever. We're always to be thinking of ourselves as with Jesus, as Jesus present with us in church, out of church, at home, away from home, on the job, commuting, all of these different things. And it's a good reminder for us to know that. And you are involved in full-time Christian service. Uh, It may not be your vocation. You may not get paid for it. You know, you you might have a job or a career, but you are to be serving the Lord full-time in that place with the gifts and talents and abilities that he's given you. And so in verse 1, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. We previously saw Jesus teaching and preaching in synagogues each Sabbath. Now you see him teaching and preaching out in the open on a daily basis where people lived and worked and shopped. It's an early indication that he wants us to do the same to be giving our testimony as witnesses daily where people live and work and shop. And so there is, a, there is a kind of fellowship with the Lord that we have in the church when the church is meeting together, but there's a kind of fellowship that we have with Him all of the time, wherever we are, 
as we're encouraged to be sharing him with others. The lake of Gennesaret is another name for the Sea of Galilee. In the Old Testament, it was called Shinnereth. It is also referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. I used to hate things like this in the Bible. You know, why couldn't they just name it one thing so that I could understand what they're talking about? And then I realized we do the same thing in our culture. When I was just learning to drive, uh, people used to talk about driving over the grapevine. And I thought, man, wouldn't you want to avoid that for tire wear? And, uh, you know, grapevines, I didn't know what people were talking about, but of course you never act like you don't know what people are talking about. Well, yeah, the grapevine, sure, right on. I think I was like 30 years old before I figured out what the grapevine was. To me, it was just Interstate 5, you know, and, and, and then just when I thought I had it figured out, some old-timer was talking about driving the ridge route. Remember the ridge route? It's the grapevine. It's Interstate 5. What is it? I don't know. It's, it's just that's what it is. When I lived in the San Bernardino Mountains, you could take Highway 18 across uh, from uh, the uh, Lake Arrowhead area to Running Springs where we lived. Or you could take the Rim of the World Highway, but they were the same. We called it the Death March in the winter because it was named the Rim of the World for a reason. It was only, well, there's no guardrails or anything, and, and it's just nasty. Only outdone by Highway 18, I think it is, from Running Springs to Big Bear, which is also called the Arctic Circle. Not only can you fall over the edge and die, but huge boulders are always coming down on you. So there's all these different names for different things, and so that's what we have here. And so it's the Sea of Galilee. A multitude had gathered and were pressing in upon him, anxious to hear his words. Verse 2, saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Jesus, like everyone else, saw two boats, but to him, one of them was a pulpit. We should always be open to seeing things as opportunities to become a pulpit from which the gospel can be presented. I don't know any evangelical Christian who doesn't have a desire to share the Lord or to see the Lord shared. And we just need to refresh and renew ourselves in this understanding that how can I, how can I use this or use that or what can I do to present the gospel of Jesus Christ? in a new way that will reach people. Uh, and so we're always think, trying to think of new ideas, and, and Christians, I think, are pretty creative, you know, at, at not so much borrowing from the culture, or, but using the culture at certain points in time to reach people. For example, music is an important medium to people. People respond to music. And in the Jesus movement of the late 60s, uh, the, the kids were getting saved, and they brought their music into the church. A lot of churches didn't like that. You know, the, the uh, guitar, the, the electric guitar, the rock and roll devil music that was coming into the church. And it was a problem for people uh, because, you know, the, you know, give me the old hymns. Well, okay, I, I just don't know any old hymns. I didn't grow up in a church that sang at all. Uh, and so, you know, I didn't know any old hymns. So when I got saved, I was jazzed that the music I could, you know, it was kind of, this is cool. This is the kind of music I already like. And, and, and it ministered to me, and it ministered to millions of other people as well. And so you can be that one person in the back row, I mean, the old hymns, and you'll be the only person in that church after a while. 
Or you can think, you know, I don't particularly like this music, but it seems to minister to people, and that's what I'm about, ministering to people. Share a secret with you. When I first came to Hanford, I thought the Daryl Mansfield band was all that. And, and we, and the, we had Daryl come several times over the years, and we have some success with Daryl Mansfield. If you're not familiar with him, it's more of a kind of a metal rock and roll, to, you know, at the time. And then one day, some wild idea possessed me to invite Dennis Agajanian to come. People were calling from other countries, practically, to want to come and see Dennis. It was the most successful thing we ever did. Now, I don't want to tell you, this might be news to you, but I don't particularly care for country and Western music. Is that something new? I'm just revealing my heart to you there. But I don't, I don't, somehow when Dennis sings, I don't consider it country and Western music. It's just fantastic gospel music that the Lord is using. And, and so that's the idea. So, you know, all of us, we have to bow to what it is without compromising the gospel, without watering down the gospel. What vehicle can we use to reach people in today's culture? You always have to be careful because you can take it too far, lose the gospel, become irreverent, Sure. But we need to be looking around for the boat that can be turned into a pulpit so that people can be ministered to. Now, Simon and the other fishermen were washing their nets. They were removing debris, beer cans, gum wrappers, you know, things like that, and using fresh water to clean their large drag nets. They were taking good care of their equipment. Now, anybody that has any skill or craftsmanship in any area... Uh, or, you know, even some of you hobbyists, you know that you have to block out some time at the end of your day or the end of your, you know, uh, time to clean your equipment, to put it away properly. Otherwise, you're going to be hurting the next time. And, and so that's what they were doing. It just speaks of their experience and skill as fishermen. Verse 3, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Simon is called Simon Peter later in this story, and afterwards will be referred to mostly as Peter. Now, Jesus and Simon already knew one another. This was not their first encounter. Simon's brother, Andrew, had brought Simon to Jesus. They were already followers, but they'd not yet been called away from their fishing business to follow the Lord full time. Peter was tired probably thinking about breakfast and getting a little sleep. But he willingly accommodated Jesus. In the boat, Jesus would be less distracted by the pressing crowds. From the boat, his words would receive a kind of natural amplification as they traveled over the water. And so it was just a better preaching situation for the Lord. When he had stopped speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, "'Launch out into the deep.'" And let down your nets for a catch. Jesus' suggestion would involve all of the fishermen in both boats. Dragnet fishing was done at night in the shallows. In the daytime, in the deep, was a preposterous proposition. It was just the kind of thing a carpenter would do, but not a fisherman. But Simon answered and said to him, This is. This is profound. I love this verse. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, Simon respected Jesus as a teacher and a preacher. He was already a follower. He was already a disciple. He did not yet understand that a relationship with Jesus permeates your entire life. 
Jesus is not just interested in your so-called spiritual activities. Everything you do and say is spiritual as far as he is concerned. They were about to learn this. Simon let Jesus know in the first part of his response that he knew a lot more about fishing than Jesus did. Lord, or he says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Master fisherman, commercial fisherman, carpenter, dragnet fishing in the shallows at night. Nobody goes out in the daytime. And Lord, have you seen me washing my net for the last hour and a half or so? I'll have to do that again. I haven't slept. I'm hungry and I'm tired. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So he's giving Jesus a chance to realize how foolish this suggestion is. His workplace was no place for God's interference. Simon obeyed the Lord, though. Whether it was to please the Lord or to humor him, we can't tell. To his credit, Simon obeyed even though he was tired and hungry and frustrated. I found that often the Lord will ask you to do something when you are tired and hungry and frustrated. I think he enjoys it, tell you the truth. (laughs) Not in a morbid or a wicked sense. Every good and perfect gift is from above. But the Lord... He finds ways to show you how He can strengthen you when you least expect it, and that sometimes is in the middle of the night or, or, or when you least expect it. And so we go around, you know, Lord, make me like you. You are a servant. Make me one too. You know, those kinds of things. And then the phone rings at three in the morning. How would you like to be used by God? Tomorrow, Maybe. Oh, I've got a big meeting in the morning, or I need to get my sleep, or whatever it is. And God is just, he's so, he's a little bit funny that way about getting you involved when you least expect it. And so you should start to expect it, get used to it, because he knows he's going to strengthen you. And then verse 6, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. You could not catch more fish than this without sinking your boat. This was, therefore, the greatest catch of fish in their careers as commercial fishermen. One more fish, and they would have been on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And so it's impossible to catch more fish than this. And so let's pause for a moment and talk about a couple of things. First, the contrast. The contrast could not be more stunning. No fish at all, nothing in the net but debris, not even a little fish, and then the most fish that you could ever possibly hope to catch. God prevented, and then He provided their catch. On the most basic level, it was becoming obvious that God was involved in their fishing business. No matter their experience and equipment, It was the Lord who made the difference between failure and success. And and I want to suggest to you, just as it is sometimes in our lives, this may have been a revelation to Simon and the others. As I said earlier, we have a tendency to think of God at church or in Sunday school, uh, and then He's kind of around during the week, but we're going about our business. 
And, and the idea, especially as they're learning who God was and seeing Jesus Christ, the idea that God is involved in the most minute details of our lives, we forget this. You know, there's a scripture in the New Testament that I used to quote a lot more when I made bald jokes, but I don't anymore, is uh, I make bald jokes by not making bald jokes now. But anyway, uh, you know, the hairs on your head are all numbered. Did you know that? Now, I have to point out, it doesn't mean that God knows the number of hairs you have because that's easy for some of you. Get it? Little bald joke there. But it is. I mean, it's just a fact. But even at that, even even if God knew the number of hairs on everybody's head all over the globe, you're thinking, wow, that's pretty impressive. But the Scripture actually says your individual hairs are themselves numbered. And so from the time you're born or well, I guess from the time you have hair until the time you don't have hair, every one of your hairs has a number. How many billions of hairs must one person have throughout the course of their lifetime as you're just looking at this stuff come out and you're getting haircuts and stuff like that, you know? And so they're numbered, and God knows the number of every one. Oops, there goes one billion and three right there. And so he's intimately involved with you, but we forget on a daily basis as we're just going about our business. And so God is not just a part of your life, even a big part. He is your life. The Apostle Paul would say in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. And then there's a contemplation in our story. For Simon and the other commercial fishermen, this was a career-defining moment. They could never, ever catch a greater catch than this they would never be able to tell a greater fish story. In your career, you might have such a goal. You might even be able or enabled to achieve it. You might get to that career-defining moment, to that pinnacle. Then what? Well, I'll tell you what. You'll feel like Solomon felt when he wrote Ecclesiastes. In almost every sphere of life, in art, in science, in music, you name it, he achieved beyond what anyone could ever hope to achieve. It left him empty and unsatisfied. He called it all vanity. Once you achieve your moment, all that is left is telling the story over and over again until you don't even want to hear it yourself. Probably, to me, one of the great examples of this is the movie Chariots of Fire and the contrast between Eric Little and the other guy whose name I can never remember. But uh, and, And the sense of achievement for God from a heavenly perspective as opposed to an earthly perspective. And this is what's happening here in our text. Now, career achievements are empty and unsatisfying unless God has been involved with you and you can give Him the glory. All of this encourages you, give control of your career to Jesus. And here's two things at least that means. If you feel you are being prevented from achieving, you've been out all night and you've caught nothing, then it is the Lord teaching you to learn contentment while you're being abased because He's the one that is preventing. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But if we're walking with the Lord, trusting in Him, we have to acknowledge that He is with us and He's in control. On the other end, if you're being provided with achievement, then it's the Lord teaching you how to abound. I know you want to think that it's your experience and, you know, your equipment. You finally got the equipment that you wanted, and so now, wow, you know, you're really able to excel. It's still the Lord. 
and he's teaching you how to abound, which can be harder sometimes than to learn how to be abased. The children of Israel always got into trouble when they were blessed because they forgot the Lord. At either extreme or usually somewhere in the middle, you can be satisfied because Jesus is with you in the boat. His fellowship overshadows your career and its relative failures or successes. Give Jesus control. Okay, how do you do that? Well, uh, verse 5, I told you to make note of that, and here it is. Simon said, nevertheless, at your word, I will. Simply put, you obey God's word in every area, even though you might think he was only a carpenter and doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, here's the thing. I said that, and everybody probably thinks, oh, I would never think that. Jesus is the Lord. Of course, he knows what he's talking about. And yet, on a daily basis, oftentimes, we act as if Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll give you one example. The Bible absolutely presents corporal punishment as an important and necessary component of disciplining children. It's not the only thing, uh, you know, but, but it's there. You can't ignore it. Spank your child. Fewer and fewer believers believe this anymore. And even Christians that say that they spank their children, what they really mean is, I would if I had to, but I don't have to because I use some other method that a psychologist or a social worker taught me. Touchy subject? I don't care. Because the Bible says that this is what you're supposed to do. It's a part of it. It's not everything, but it's a part of it, and we ignore it because why? Well, obviously, we think Jesus was just a carpenter who never had children and doesn't really know about the terrible twos. <laughs> and so we're going to apply some other wisdom, some other knowledge that we've picked up along the way, just kind of how I feel, like I'm going to handle this. And if you start to think like that, you're going to identify tons of areas in our lives where we put Jesus to one side and say, well, Lord, how, what could you possibly know about my job or my career or my stresses or my successes or my failures? I know what your word says to do, but that's not going to work. If I'm honest in business, I'm going to get chewed up alive here. I mean, this is a dog-eat-dog world, and I need to be the pit bull in my, you know, circle here. And so I'm a Christian at church, and I, I believe all that stuff. It's good, but, but you know, you got to apply. you got to bring it up to date. You can't really have an honest. What is honest anyway? I mean, come on, you know? Everything is relative. And there's so many areas in our lives where we're able to ignore Jesus when Peter said, nevertheless, it was a great summary. Nevertheless means, Lord, I'm generally rebellious, and I have my own ideas and attitudes, and I don't really want to do what you're telling me to do. But at your word, I will. Simple obedience, and it made all the difference in the world. So anytime we hesitate to obey God's clear directives for any reason, we're treating Jesus as a carpenter who knows less than we do, or the experts. But he is, after all, the Lord. And so give Jesus control. Once you hear the word, then do it, despite your own or anyone else's objections. Can you imagine Peter that day? Proud fisherman. Hey, you know how fishermen are. Hey, what'd you catch? What'd you catch? Uh-huh. What? N nothing. Oh, sorry, a little touchy today. And then Jesus says, hey, let's, let's go out 
deep fishing with the nets. And you know, the people on shore, they're thinking, Jesus is a carpenter. He's maybe never been fishing with a net his whole life. What's Peter going to do? Oh, Peter, what? Hey, Peter. It's not Simon says, it's Jesus says. You know, and they're all giving him. I mean, you know, the Jewish people, they're a fun-loving people. They're, they're sarcastic once Peter's far enough away, you know, because he's a big guy. <laughs> this is what I would be doing. Hey, Pete, good luck. I'll keep breakfast on for you, Pete. You know, I mean, this is a great opportunity for ribbing this guy. You know, oh, yeah, follower of Jesus out in the deep water with his dragnet. What a surprise they had. But this is what happens when you follow the Lord, isn't it? And you decide to do things God's way, and your family says, oh, oh, yeah, Jesus freak, Jesus freak, friendly neighborhood, Jesus freak. (laughs) And, And your family is all over you. They think you're stupid. You know, hey, let's go do this. Let's, oh, no, I have to go to church. You know, those kinds of things. But it ends up being a big catch as Jesus catches your life. And now back to our story. Simon was shaken by the events that transpired. And so we see, secondly, get confirmation of your calling from Jesus. Lots of crazy things happen when Jesus is a passenger in your boat. We'll see later on that storms start out of nowhere, then stop at his command. He walks on water and invites you out to do the same. Or tons of fish find their way miraculously into your net at the wrong time of day and in the wrong part of the lake where they've never been caught before. And so verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was called Simon. Now and only here in the Gospel of Luke is he called Simon Peter. And from here on in the Gospel of Luke, he'll be called Peter, except when Luke is quoting someone else. On the simplest level, it is to indicate a significant change occurs in his life at this moment. He goes from calling Jesus master to Lord. He's beginning to understand that Jesus was more than a carpenter turned Bible teacher. He was the Lord. When you understand Jesus is Lord, you understand you're not, and you want to give Him control of your life. You're a sinner with no merit by which to be in the presence of Jesus. And there is a sense of worthlessness, or at least of unworthiness. Simultaneously, you realize God's grace This word translated fell down, and then he says, at his knees. Normally, you would say, you know, you fell down at someone's feet. But he fell down, meaning he fell towards, and and towards the knees of Jesus indicates as if to grab a hold of his knees. And so it's interesting, he's holding on to Jesus, perhaps, while at the same time asking him to depart. What a picture of what it means to, to know the Lord, to realize your sinfulness and unworthiness, and yet to be able to hang on to the Lord knowing that He loves you and that you're welcome in His presence because of His work on your behalf. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 9, for He and all who were with Him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You must have a fear of God but never be afraid of Him. Too many believers lack a fear of God. They are told what to do in God's Word and promised by God that they can do all the things He asks, yet they ignore His Word in favor of their own feelings. 
Remember, your response should always be, nevertheless, at your word, I will. Usually our response is, well, how? Or show me, or, you know, something like that. We want the technique or some fresh empowering or, you know, some Bible pill that we can take, you know. Husband, love your wife. Okay, I got to get my pill, you know, and stuff. Of course, for wives to, to submit to their husbands, they do need pills, but uh, of a different sort. Anyway, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and what our response ought to be, as soon as we understand what God has told us to do, we should say, okay, nevertheless, I don't understand it. I don't know how to do it. There doesn't seem to be any instruction here other than to do it. And so, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. And you'll find God release His power in your life as you commit to do it. it. It's not so much that you don't know how to do something, is that you don't really want to more often than not. And we just need to be honest about the rebellion in our heart and use that word nevertheless. Okay, Lord, you, you see that I don't really want to love my wife until she submits to me. Then everything will be great. I don't want to submit to my husband until he loves me. Nevertheless, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Unbelievers tend to be afraid of God, but they're afraid of what God might do if they surrender their lives to Him. They'd rather toil catching nothing their whole life than be called away to follow the Lord. They don't understand the joy of having Jesus in their boat. And so we want to promote and portray the joy of a walk with the Lord. Joy unspeakable and full of glory should be uh, permeating everything that we say and do. Not that our personalities are all, you know, the same and sparkly, and it, it doesn't mean that you're bubbling over all the time and those kinds of things, but people ought to be able to look at your life and say, okay, you're a Christian, what difference does it make? A lot of times people look at Christians and they think, okay, you're a Christian, and not only doesn't it make a positive difference, your life is worse off than mine because you're not as successful and you're having a harder time, and you're not even happy about it. And so we want to be those people who have joy, the joy of the Lord. These guys go from being fishermen to being fishers of men. Keep in mind the type of fishermen they were. They were net fishermen. We think in terms of lures and bait, of flash and deception. We're not to think of ourselves as line fishermen, according to the gospel, but as net fishermen. We throw out a net by presenting the gospel, and then it's drawn in. What we catch is up to the Lord. Now, all I'm saying here is be careful. We're not about, we don't want to use deception. We don't want to use worldly methods and, and fake people out into the kingdom of God. We want to throw the gospel net out there and then draw it in slowly, telling people what they can expect. A few years ago, Barry McGuire, who remembers Barry McGuire? Let's have a show of hands. Bullfrogs and Butterflies, you ever heard that song, Christian song? All right, I'm sorry. I'm dated. A few years ago, Barry McGuire had a song in which he tried to update Bible metaphors. The idea was that when Jesus came, the culture was agricultural and easily understood the metaphors like the shepherd and his sheep, stuff that we might understand better in the valley, but if you live in Southern California, all you think of is the Serta sheep, you know, that are the Serta counting sheep. I love those guys. And so Barry McGuire had an updated version uh, of Jesus, and, and he called Jesus a cosmic cowboy. Now, that would go over big here, I would have thought, and stuff. But anyway, I don't know what I think about all that, by the way, but I do think that Jesus can make metaphors out of your career, whatever it is. 
And, uh, you know, you don't want to get too deep into this, but you don't have to be a fisherman and then a fisher of men. I think whatever it is you do, the Lord can show you pictures and allegories and illustrations in your career of how He can use you. Verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed Him. Now, Peter and these others had already become followers of Jesus. Now it was confirmed to them that they were called away from their careers as fishermen to become career fishers of men. This could happen to you. Jesus could call you into what we like to call full-time Christian work. Being a minister or a missionary could become your vocation. More often and most likely, the Lord will give you confirmation of your calling, and you will stay right where you are, your home, your place of employment, sometimes your place of unemployment, your school. These all become your fishing grounds, your place of serving the Lord. Let's return one final time to Peter's words, nevertheless, at your word, I will. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, God's word is full with invitations for you to surrender your life over to Him. There are many objections that people can have to giving them their lives to Jesus. Take all of the objections uh, that ever were and all of the ones that you have and put them in a bucket and they can be labeled nevertheless. They all amount to the same thing, a rebellion, uh, and you need to just say, okay, nevertheless, at your word, I will. I'll come to know you, Jesus, because you love me. If you're a believer, let the Lord identify any areas in which you are trusting in your own experience or your own equipment, and then be honest about those areas in which you are refusing to obey God's word because you think you'll have more success doing it some other way. Launch out into that area where people maybe might even be making fun of you, into the deeper waters in the daytime when fish are only caught in the shallows at night. Whatever the Lord has called you to do, do it as unto Him according to His Word and let Him worry about whether He's going to prevent or provide for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for these things. Lord, these guys, they were just fishermen, commercial fishermen enjoying life on the Sea of Galilee. They become followers of You, and I'm sure, Lord, that blessed their lives that you had something more for them. And it wasn't just full-time Christian service. It was the understanding that their lives were already involved in full-time Christian service. And I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that we would get that idea once and for all in a positive, joyous way that we are called, Lord, to serve you every moment of every breath of every day. In you, we live and move and have our very being. And Lord, you want to help us in that service by giving us your word and by prompting us by your spirit. And we appreciate that so much, Lord. May you become so much more real to us than you have previously. Lord, we're in love with you and may our love deepen and ripen and become more full than it ever has been. Speak to our hearts, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's not a believer, I pray that your spirit would be working on their heart and in their life that they would put their objections aside and that they would come to know you as their Lord, as their Savior. 
Lord, we pray these things this morning in Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand together, sing this final chorus. As we do, some of our deacons are going to come down as they do week by week. And if you have any uh, prayer need or you'd like to be prayed for, come on down during the song or after the song and let these guys pray for you. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't know the Lord, then we'd like to share with you how to come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're not going to ask you to join our church. We can't because we don't even have a membership. We just want you to know Jesus loves you, died for you, rose from the dead so that you can have eternal life. May God bless and keep you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.